Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Welcome into your regularly scheduled kicking it. I say regularly scheduled. Because if you are interested, we interviewed the bear, Chris Felica from Big Fox. Used to be on College Game Day, now is on uh, Big Noon Kickoff for Fox, which they're not coming to Iowa State, Texas for some reason. We, we got into that a little bit. Anyway, yeah. uh, go back and listen to that episode that came out uh, earlier this week. So we are going to be talking with our, like I said, regularly scheduled kicking it. We're recapping BYU, previewing Texas. Uh, that is, a, it's it's going to be a fun week. Uh, anyway, um, kicking it is brought to you by Kelderman Manufacturing, uh, as always. If you're looking for really anything that you need to get done with large metal work, Kelderman's got you. Whether that's laser cutting, whether that's bending something, whether that's fabricating something, whether that's fixing something, agricultural products, they got you. Big Cyclone fans. So anyway, Iowa State whips the shit out of BYU this weekend at like midnight. And uh, for those that got to stay awake for it, either you paid for it on Sunday or you slept through it on Sunday, uh, 45 to 13 Iowa State wins. They head into a, let's call it a excited week where they host Texas. So, Grant Mahoney, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watching that BYU game live, I'm thinking, man, these guys stink. <laughs> we could have dropped, Iowa State could have uh, dropped 60 on them. Like, I want to be nice because, again, we have been on teams, me more than you. I mean, well, and not only do you want to be nice, I heard that after the first quarter, in Provo, their fans were passing out homemade brownies and ice cream to the Iowa State fans. What? So, like, legitimately? How can you not like someone like I was. That? I made this. We were texting kind of during the game. And one of the things, like, it seems really hard to dislike BYU uh, unless, you know, they're, say, the, ba- the basketball fans seem like it's a little bit different crowd. But, like, the football program, it seems like there was, I don't remember what, I think it was uh, maybe Higgins got tackled on the sideline. And, like, one of the guys... I was on the BYU sideline. One of the BYU players that just wasn't even in, like picked him up and gave him like a couple pats in the back. Like, good job, buddy. Like they just seem like they're nice people. They need a better football team. But uh, I, I think that will come in a few years because that stadium looks cool. University is really strong. But boy, that was not an even matchup. Yeah, I feel like I'm um, kind of a side danger. I feel like Andrew Luck would have been good playing there. Have you heard about him? Like his his trash talk. Dude, talking I did in the NFL? that. I did that. So what? the the trash talk. Yeah, the trash talk in the NFL. So Andrew Luck's trash talk uh, is he would compliment them like instantly. Like someone Ooh, really nice hit, oh, man. Oh, great tackle, <laughs> man. And he would do that. But like 
there is sometimes I would like shit talk back and forth with somebody, but like if someone's a really big trash talker and like, you know, I was yep, Grant, yep, two thumbs and big trash talker, this guy. But uh like, you know, a guy like, you know, Jeremiah George or Jacquez Washington, when you're in practice, it's not that you're seeing him every day. But if it's like uh, some other team, you know, somebody from Oklahoma and it's a linebacker and they're talking trash or whatever. And you they're like, I would usually get it's called some combination of fat, slow or white. Like those are the three combinations that I was going to get, which are all true relative to the position. You're not fat, Jeff. I mean, I was. Uh, especially in the later years. I mean, like I'm pushing 255. And uh, anyway, but if you you make good contact and they come up and say, like, hey, slow ass. And I'm like, great hit, man. Like, what do you say back to that? Yeah, yeah it was a great hit. That's what, what I just said. So yeah, like, no, not, it, like, not it me, It turns Jeff. the trash talk off. Not me. So on, <laughs> on kickoffs, <clears throat> I would look for a dude away from the play. Just, you know, I'm, I've got my testosterone just amped up. I'm <laughs> juiced up. You know, he brought this kickoff back. I'm looking to ear hole someone. There was one year we were playing Kansas State. This dude, I'm sure he's a nice fella. Just just watching the plates and unfolds. Boom. I I just declete him, stared him, you know, stand on top of him. Don't get your weight up, bitch. And when you hear that from a kicker who's weighing 160 pounds, you know, what do you say? I'll tell you what he says. The very next kickoff, they are returning it back. This guy's a lead blocker and I can see him. He's making eye contact with me running and I hear him say, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. <laughs> this guy lifts me up and toss me on the sideline. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you win. Okay. I won't, I'm not going to try to ear hole you. Um, welcome into kicking it. Grant scribes. So. <laughs> oh, sorry, all right, I I don't know. How I was you... proud of myself. This this guy was a linebacker, so like he was. I mean, he, he wasn't was... looking at you. He wasn't looking at you. He, he was making eye. No, when when I declined him, no, he was absolutely. His head was to the right. <laughs> I was coming to the left. Ear hold him. Stand over top and get your weight up, bitch. <laughs> and his he he weighed fifty pounds more than me. I mean, he uh, was strong enough to lift and toss me. To be fair, not that hard. No, all things considered, not that hard. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you possibly transition out of that. Uh, I mean, we can, we can talk about, I mean, we can just, while we're talking about things that are absurd, uh, I, I didn't get to watch the very, I'm trying to make this a professional podcast, Graham. Uh, I was trying, things are absurd. BYU's punter. Dude's a stud. Uh, great. Uh, I was going the other, going the other way. The, you go, I didn't get to watch cause it, I was watching just in the big ESPN. I didn't kick over to ESPN plus or whatever. Uh, so I didn't get to see the first two plays, which were fumble interception. Uh, Aiden, would you like to describe your emotions watching the first couple plays because you did tune into the ESPN plus yeah, podcast. Yeah, I was on the plus. So actually, maybe it was just my TV. Maybe I had bad luck. But I didn't even see the first play live. I saw the replay of the opening kickoff. I was like, oh, maybe I would stake out the ball. Well, they didn't. I thought so too. When, when I turned turned it on, I thought, oh, he wants to yeah. receive the ball. So I went, oh, nuts. Now Iowa State has to trot out the defense and get a stop. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> Lo and behold... It was, that happened. It was unreal just how bad that start was for BYU. I was surprised, too, by how often they were slipping on their home field. Yeah, that, that was... It looked like a high school field. That was that, that grass was like seven inches long. It, 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 I, I mean, maybe it's just like a watering thing in the desert and there's like water concert. I don't, I don't know. Or, I mean, Iowa State turf grass needs to kind of... We'll show them a, a what's what. But, I mean, in the Kansas yeah. game, players are slipping at Jack Trice, too. So, it's not... I mean, they might also just need to get... Don't get the molded cleats. Use the screw-ins. They're better. Well, so I, I had heard um, 
Jake Hatch, we had him on last week for the BYU podcast. I want to hear his thoughts on after the game. And <laughs> if you want to listen to someone bitch about it, he, he he's given up on the season. He, he's saying <laughs> we're done. Pack it in. We're done. We're, we're going to go five and seven. He was saying that um, he's like, from the start, you know, we sucked. The the fumbled, interception fumbled. He goes, and the, the equipment staff couldn't even bring the right cleats. So it sounds like they have two different cleats, which I don't know. Yeah, you do. It's Well, you have, so kickers use oh, soccer cleats. Oh, how nice. So yeah. you use soccer. You don't want to use I had to buy cleats. my own cleats, Jeff. Really? Yeah. They, they, they gave us these, Guy or Warm, I didn't have to, but they gave us these black, teal, and orange cleats. And I was like, what is this? These are not Iowa State colors. And I was like, okay, if I buy my own cleats, will you re- reimburse me? And they said, no. So I was like, right. anyway. I said, screw it. I'm going to buy them anyways. And so, yeah. So what the, this is, man, this is completely irrelevant. Uh, so you get two cleats and usually I would just call them turf cleats and grass cleats because you'd use them in different situations. One is they're, that's molded and screw ins are the ones you want. So when you look at the bottom, there's nine, seven or nine spikes, depending on the style of shoe that you have in the screw ins. And this, it's the ones that there's literally like, it's like a, 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 a screw a wrench, that has yeah. a, a cleat at the bottom of it and you screw those in and they're usually a bit heavier, but the spikes themselves are longer and those are really good on grass because it can puncture and penetrate through the grass into the dirt uh versus the molded ones is when you pick up the bottom of a molded cleats it's just a bunch of it's literally a plastic mold they like glued onto the bottom of the shoe well those there's like 20 little tiny smaller spikes those are really good for turf because there's not as much grass that you're pushing through so you don't need longer spikes so i would always use i would always bring two because i wasn't sure which if we were going on the road i would just bring both and just put them in the little travel bag because i didn't know if it was turf maybe it's like sometimes it's brand new turf and you actually don't really want those molded ones because they slide around because it's all super rubbery uh so you get the molded ones and i don't know if i'm guessing what byu did is they just all had the molded the molded cleats they didn't have the screw-ins and so there would be times when like you'd have a, a really rough game, a really rough warm up, and you think that you're wearing the molded and you're like, ah, it's, grass is short and we're good. Or like in Oklahoma, like the, they would always cut the grass really short. Well, you go out there and maybe it's really sandy and you're like, ah, I need the longer ones. You just change when you get inside, but you're at home. Like, why do you not have both? Right. And that's what I was just going to say too, that if, if you notice some warm ups, like you guys are slipping or I don't know, first quarter, you guys are slipping. Yeah. Oh, maybe, you maybe change. change out of cleats. Yeah. So, yeah, or you can just go ask an equipment manager. There's like 17 assistant equipment managers. You go, so, Hey, uh, can you go to my locker? And grab me, you know, my, I mean, maybe the practice facility is not by the stadium, but like, I don't know. Um, you know who else? Uh, you know who did have a good game though? The Iowa State Cyclones. The Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, I thought this was... Abu Sama, baby. Go Rams. Uh, state championship contending Southeast Polk Rams and uh, Abu Sama. But I think the thing that was cool to see about the offense itself, they were the most, that was the most efficient that they've been. Shieldhouse is out there cooking, man. Shieldhouse is a star. hundred percent. They were most in the situations when they needed to come up with a play is they would, they, so here, let me take back a step for a second against Kansas. They were bad on third down in the first half because they were always third and eight, nine, 10, 11. This game, most of their third downs were third and shorts. They had an occasional third and long. I think there was two third downs that were longer than eight or nine yards. One of them, they ran a tunnel screen to Bramer, which is beautiful. I like, love that play call. Dude, I could, Okay, if I'd, you want to rewind and, and go watch, I was like, what happened there? That so was cool. go back and if you want to go back and rewatch it, they run a swing screen to Carson Hansen. He's in the backfield. And so what, what the normal screen look is, is you're you're either going to run a tunnel screen, which is somebody coming back towards the ball. So like from a wide receiver position, running back towards the offensive line, those are called tunnel screens, or there's a swing screen, which is the somebody in the backfield running sideways, whether that's a, you know, somebody in a, like a jet motion or whatever. So they run 
the common ones you're going to see, and also on a tunnel screen, the common people that are going to be doing that tunnel screen are going to be the widest receiver or the second widest receiver because it has to time up right. Like if the the middle guy, the inside re receiver, tries to run a tunnel screen, he's going to get there too fast, and it's going to be he's just going to have to like stand there and be like, "Hey, throw me the ball." Unless you can somehow manage to time it out. Well, in order to time it out, you have to distract the defense at least a little bit so the linebackers don't just sit down on that guy. So they run a swing screen to the left. They also know that BYU is playing man. And so they instead of trying to block on a screen with Higgins and Noel on the top side, they just run, run them off because that means the guy who's playing man over top of them just runs with them. And then Bramer gets to run back. And because they're running a swing screen and there's line moving and there's guys running vertical, the linebackers get lost. And then you can just tuck in behind alignment. I mean, that is a beautiful third and long call, but you don't have to call four of those. You have one or two third and longs that you have to deal with. You're not calling a zillion of them. So they're able to stay in front of the chains. And then Rocco understanding when to run and where to get to, making smart, tuck it down and run decisions. I mean, they were at, in the second quarter, they were five for five on third down. In the first half, they were six for eight on third down as compared to BYU's one for five. Like, granted, BYU also only had six passing yards in the entire first half. So it's not like it was uh, other things, but they were so efficient on offense that they were always in the right spot. They were always ahead of the chains, which set them up to do everything else in the offense they wanted to. Dude, I'm I'm super impressed by Rocco. I mean, he he still is a freshman. He's not playing at a freshman level. And I was texting my buddy during the game, and he was like, "Man, I'm kind of worried. Like this atmosphere might get to Rocco early in the game." And then Rocco, I don't know what the play was, but he had run for a first down. He had you know he went through his progressions and ran and got the first down. And I texted him back. I said, "No, we're good. Like Rocco's settling in." Um, that might have been his best game. Well, I'd been, if you go from the back half of the Kansas game into the first half of the BYU game. The first I, half of Kansas was rough, but then from then but on. But the yeah. second half of the Kansas game yeah. and the first half of the BYU game, Iowa State scored on 11 of 14 possessions. Mm. That's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah. So the if you're if you're taking that, and now I think the other thing that, like Abu Sama being able to be a change of pace back because you're in rhythm allows him to be his best because like he's still one of the things when you watch those runs they are unbelievable you can't teach it you cannot teach like it was it was funny that the one drive that was like the abu sama drive where he just made like four guys miss the number 33 is a strong safety was fit he made he was the guy that he made look stupid twice like those plays are just instinct plays if he can ever start putting it together where he knows actually how to set someone up like Brees, like montgomery like uh, even like you look at Eli Sanders, like if you understand, if you can kind of figure it out where guys want to go, how they want to set, where they're trying to fit, then I think he's going to be the every down back next year because if he can, if he can put that together, but at least to this point, he's kind of sometimes bounces it or cuts it back too soon versus Eli Sanders. Sanders is much less likely to get you a 70 yard touchdown, or he's much less likely to take a zero yard run and turn it into 15, but he's much more likely to have a poor run be five yards versus Sama's poor runs are negative three. So right now, Sama, or excuse me, Sanders and Norton are much more consistent in the running game to keep you on schedule. But then when you want to throw this change up or this curveball, you bring in Sama and he just goes to town. I mean, that that is as that is basically what Iowa State's offense, entire team, offense, defense, special teams is meant to do. It's it's that game. Yeah, and he's, you know, Sama's got, he's the one of the three backs I'm thinking, really four if you want to toss Hanson there, who's probably got the most wiggle. I mean, Hanson's Hanson's got some shake. He just doesn't. He's not confident yet. Yeah. with the running game. And, and it's it's unfair to you know compare Rocco to Brock. You know, Brock is the best quarterback Iowa State's ever had. 
But statistically, I think Rocco is going to have a better freshman year than Brock did. It's also unfair to compare Abu Sama to Brees Hall, who is maybe the greatest quarterback or running back that Iowa State's ever had. Troy Davis is pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Abu Sama is the closest thing to Brees Hall that we've mm-hmm. had since Brees left. I mean, it's been like two years, so it's not like there's been a huge sample size. Well, <laughs> um, so the... There, I don't know if there's too much meat to pick off the bone more for BYU. Um, that was way past my bedtime, dude. I was I was prying my eyes open trying to stay awake. I was like, guys, it's eleven thirty. Iowa State is just kicking the dog shit out of BYU. Let's let's just run the ball. It's past my bedtime, man. I got an early appointment in the morning, and they did. They did. They did. They absolutely did. I want to ask you about Hughes. What was up with that? Why why they why they what do you think Iowa State brought him in just for two plays and and just ran the ball? One of them looked like. Kind of a, a, well, a botch I think, play. I think they were looking at, in a certain point, you want to try if, and see if something's going to work. And you can't test if something's going to work against your defense in practice because they would have seen Tanner Hughes in practice. So it's not, it's, you're not catching anybody off guard. But they had mentioned early at the beginning of the season, like before the season started, they want to get, you know, he's a big dude. He's what, 6'3", 230, 240. So they want to get him some packages where you can do some short yardage stuff or, you know, the Joel Dozer t- style things. Well, there hasn't really been a situation where you could maybe make that happen. Well, you're up 31 to 7 or whatever it was, 38 to 7 or 38 to 13, and you're just whooping the shit out of a team. And your starters are still in the game. You can still kind of get a look with what that's going to be. And then you know the next drive, you're going to pull Rocco, you're going to pull Hughes, you're going to put JJ in. It gives you a chance with your starters, with a change of pace, to see how a defense would react to it, to see if it's something you want to keep for later. So that was straight up experiment. Some, some breadcrumbs. That was just it, a hundred percent straight up experiment. And so they're going to see, does this work? We've got three or four pl- plays that have been looked pretty good in practice. We think he can, you know, run or throw out of this. Let's see what it looks like. All right, next drive, get everybody out, you know, put the backups in, get JJ Cole some reps. So interesting um, tidbit on Hughes and Jake Retzloff, their quarterback. So Jake Hatch, the guy we had on last week had said, Oh, Retzloff was the number one quarter, number one Juco quarterback. Well, I went and looked, you know, see, Oh, who, what offers did he have from, he lied to us. He was, well, I guess some places he might've been the number one quarterback, but Tanner Hughes was the number one Juco quarterback. And then Jake Retzloff. Hey, looks like they maybe could have used Hughes out there or maybe even Slovis or just, I don't know. Anybody. Yeah. Me. Maybe. Zach, Zach, Aiden? Will, Zach Wilson. Aiden. I mean, Retzloff actually played okay. Blake like, Groupie. He been the, the Blake Groupie. Um, that first interception wasn't great and he was only 10 for 27 passing but like he was the really he for his his second like true his game, second game against fine against this really confusing defense but um i talked about picking meat off the bone you know where you can pick meat off the bone do you know sports bar and grill oh, that's not where i was going to go but continue <laughs> uh so if you're on saturday if you don't go up to texas at dino sports bar and grill in west des moines uh you can get eight wings and a domestic beer for 10 bucks and you can watch some college football. It's going to be a nice day, but if you aren't able to get up to Ames or if you want to watch another different Saturday, you want to watch some other football, Dino Sports Bar and Grill. So they're uh, getting on the Cyclone Fanatic bandwagon. So I'm going to have to go get me some wings and a You, you, you may not there. be able to answer this question, but do their wings come with um, celery, carrots, and or fries? I hope so. Oof. I hope so. I don't know. I, we'll have to do some investigating. Okay. I'm in. Okay. Um, do we, do hidden, uh, hidden yards? We're going to do hidden yardage. So hidden yards... Iowa State, good special teams day. Real good special teams day. Except, what the hell, Shackford? Just ripped one out of bounds on a kickoff. Yeah, I don't so get that, was that. The, that was the one downside. I think yeah. everything else. And uh, I will say, though, Perkins, it was on the first extra point, I think, or was the field goal. 
first extra point of the field goal. Uh, extra, the, it was on the extra point. Talk about the one where you like, yeah. So had the, snap, catch, had the to snap had to kind of like pick a short hop, but Perkins had a great hold on that one. Another kick, but I mean, otherwise, if we're talking about our special teams goal execution, I mean, you might give a ding for that that snap and that kick out of bounds. We might not be a hundred percent, but we'll call it a win because make all of our kicks, we make execute all of our punts. The kickoff didn't did not end up costing Iowa State, but that's one of those ones where if you just let that, you know, well, it's not going to affect us and not not hammer at home that hey, this is an issue in a game like last week. Did he just pull it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't see. You, usually, he's a left-footed guy, and kicking left-footed, it went out of bounds to the right. So I'm assuming he just came around on it. Yeah, pulled a little bit. Um, if you want to get technical, he may not have had his his kickoffs are different than field goals, and that kickoffs, you get your quad involved. And so you really want to roll your knee over. Well, he might have rolled his knee over and kind of hooked his foot. A little bit too far. A little too far. Um, whereas field goals, you're not. it's not quite as quad involved. Um a little more butt involved. Um, talking about butts. Um, okay, so hidden yardage. Again, refresher is the distance between where each team starts. So if I want to get to the 25-yard line and you're starting at the 25-yard line, how far do I have to get to get to the 25-yard line so then we are starting at an even spot? So uh, total that up throughout the rest of the game, and there's your hidden yardage. So hidden yardage, what do you think the hidden yardage total was, uh, let's just say, in advantage of Iowa State because it was true? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I was first off. I'm really impressed by their punter. He'll be first team All Big Twelve. Absolutely, boomed it. Yeah, I think Perkins Boy. will be second team All Big Twelve. But their their guy, yeah, he was Jake wasn't under. He built like a D end, um, booming punts though. And I didn't, didn't look like they were win eighty today either. He I mean just he was just hitting nukes. So uh, oh oh uh, yeah, hidden yardage. I'm gonna say that Iowa State. I mean, dude, BYU was so bad. I don't even know where to start with this. I'm going to say Iowa State had an advantage by 143. Aiden? I was going to say 150, so... Uh, less than you think, 108. Mm. So uh, it's weird because they got the ball... They they started inside the 25-yard line twice, and then uh, Jalen Noll had another big return, but that big return started on the zero. And, and that, so that and that's, was... That's not that... Actually, that's not that surprising because their punter... Their punter was so good. He, he put, put Iowa State back so far. Yeah, so there was a couple drives where they started way far in, but a lot of the other drives started super far back. So they won a hidden yards by 108 yards. So And Iowa State had 443 yards on the day. Yeah, so they had to... So you add, you know, what... It would basically would be you can subtract 108 from BYU's total because that's just what they had to do to get to where Iowa State was. So what 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 would that be the yardage distance wise? So yes. 443 for Iowa State and a BYU had 318. So minus 108 would be 210. 210. Yeah. So they had 210 yards of basically functioning offense and because, only six passing yards at halftime. Yeah, it's six passing yards at halftime. Which re- and also they that. had two sacks for negative nine yards. So on plays that were called as passes, net negative three yards at halftime. You would have thought Brian Farron snuck into their press box. <laughs> Boom, shot at Iowa. Oh, uh, <laughs> ducks. Um, so we are, got ourselves a little, a little Texas fight, eh? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this now before he gets on. <laughs> Saw him off. Um, yeah, so we will, uh, we're, we're going to welcome in Eric Henry here of uh, Horns 247 and CBS Sports. He, uh, he writes, he's a beat writer for both. I'm going to talk a little. Longhorns football. And now we welcome in Eric Henry of Horns 247 and CBS Sports B-Rider for both of them covering University of Texas Athletics. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Not a problem, fellas. Appreciate you guys having me on. So Texas is, uh, they're in the driver's seat right now, um, you know, for the Big 12 and um, Big 12 championship game and obviously a, a top of the conference. 
what is um what's kind of the, the, the feeling you know in the in, in the locker right now are they kind of letting up knowing that they basically are a shoe in you know into the uh the championship game or are they still you know pedal to the floor let me answer that two ways guys uh the feeling in the locker room is not letting up at all i mean really you know, this is a group that has experienced the five and seven year under Steve Sarkeesian and experienced, you know, some of the letdowns prior to that. So when you talk with some of the veterans, whether it's Jalen Ford or Jade Barron or others, the message has been consistent all the way through. Every week is a championship week. I mean, that is verbatim what they've been saying. So there hasn't been any real let up. And Sarkeesian has, has emphasized, he's like, hey, listen, you know, we haven't won anything. We haven't done anything our goal was not to appear in the big 12 title game our goal was to win our first big 12 title since 2009 and i mean they stated that on day one just saying hey we want to you know we're leaving this conference and we need to do it right now the second half of what i mentioned is the fan base here in austin <laughs> they are <laughs> i don't want to say quite on you know red alert but they're very trepidatious especially considering the way three out of the last four weeks have gone in which they've had 20 point leads and only see those games end up really down to the wire. I mean, you take a look at the Houston game and that came down to Chade Barron, who wasn't supposed to play in that game, having to, you know, make an emergency appearance in the second half and, you know, have a, a last minute breakaway of a pass that gave Houston, that Houston was trying to drive uh, to potentially tie the game on the road. And you take a look at, you know, we know what happened against Kansas State. That would look like it was going to be, you know, the team's really uh, style points win, right? You know, make a, a pitch to the CFP committee and say, hey, we're going to beat a top 25 team by, you know, 25, 30 points. All of a sudden, that's an overtime game that comes down to a, a last minute stop. And then last week, you know, against TCU, they, they look like, you know, Quinn Ewers comes back. They're going to run away with that one. And somewhere along the line, whether it was, you know, TCU possessing the ball for 11 minutes in the third quarter, really prolonging that game, head to the fourth quarter. They gave up that lead, and you can make the argument, guys. I mean, I don't think this is too much of a leap that it, had they been able to put TCU away in the third quarter of that game and maybe, you know, make that a 30-point lead, we don't see Jonathan Brooks in the fourth quarter of that mm, game. Yeah. Unfortunately for JB, you know, it ends up being a season-ending injury for him. Yeah, and so that was two kind of things you brought up there that I was going to interest in asking. We'll go with the first one is – so early in the season, you know, health is obviously a different concern. Quinn Ewers is all the way healthy and the full roster is all the way healthy. And, you know, Johnny Barron's is already in there. And, and but you're just I mean, Texas is separating from teams. It is not close. And they just I mean, you look at like the Kansas game is sort of like to me, that's like the quintessential 2023 Texas Longhorns game, which talented team. But you got, you know, for Kansas, but Texas is better. And they kind of feel it out for a couple plays, couple quarters. And then all of a sudden they just run away and hide in the second half. And Quinn Ewers gets hurt. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't, I mean, from the outside in, I've watched the games on TV, but what is kind of, has it been just like a complacency in the second half or has it been mis-execution? Like what has been the thing that's been with, because Quinn Ewers was back. It's not like you can blame it on the fact that you don't have your quarterback in there. Like what's been the difference between the last month of the season and the first month and a half of the season? Yeah, I'm going to try to, you know, answer that backwards, right? So the last month of the season, it's been interesting to watch guys so here's the best way i can say it because you, you talk about complacency and it's funny you mentioned that because steve sarkeesian today i asked him the question you know this is a team that if you just look at second halves alone in three of those four games the houston game the kansas state game and last week tcu they've allowed 661 passing yards. that's in six quarters worth just second halves alone right so i asked sark kind of piggybacking off of what he said to us post game i said hey you know is, is that a byproduct of 
you have a lead and essentially teams have to pass, right? So, you know, in essence, you're going to rack up some, some pass right. yards or, yeah. or what do you see there? And, and Sark said, you know, Hey, in his mind, a, it comes down to his defense. They need to keep in a mentality. And this is his words here of wanting to dominate and punish opponents for four quarters. You can't let up and maybe think, all right, I don't want to get beat deep or, you know, we, we, we're ahead. Look at the scoreboard. All right. We don't have to play this as physical, right? Sark said, we need guys from first quarter to fourth quarter, making players have contested catches, contested throws, being physical, wanting to dominate and punish opponents. So that's one part of it. Now, as I mentioned, TCU in that second, in the third quarter last week's game, had that 11-minute drive, right? So you couple that with the fact that Sark, they threw the ball eight times and ran ran it three times in, mm-hmm. in the third quarter on their 11 plays. They only had 11 plays in, in the third quarter, but, you know, that didn't net any points. So clearly they weren't necessarily milking a ton of clock in that respect. And with mm-hmm. TCU's 11 minutes, they did put up points. I do think there's an argument that can be made. You can go back and, and even look at – the TCU game, uh, excuse me, the the Kansas State game as well. Some people would point to Steve Sarkeesian and maybe, you know, in the Kansas State game specifically, they had an opportunity to go up 23-0. He went for it on fourth down in K-State territory, didn't get it, and that kind of sparked a little bit of a rally. I think some Longhorn fans would look at him as a play caller. And and listen, you know, some of it, and I'm just using what we've seen on our Horns 24-7 message boards. It's funny, guys. Uh, Versus Kansas State, they said, oh, well, Sark, why didn't he take the point? So I even had a fan uh, to bring you guys in behind the behind the uh, the curtain here a little bit, the way or one of the ways we can get down to to the field for post game is you know you kind of jet out of the press box so it takes you right onto the lower level at EKR uh-huh. Texas Memorial Stadium. So as we're walking down, <laughs> we had a fan in the overtime say, you know, media ask Sark why he didn't take the points, right? So they, they wanted him to be conservative against K State, but then you flip it to TCU and they're saying, oh, well, how come we weren't all gas, no brakes, right? So you, <laughs> you, you can't win if you're Sark in one God game. bless but, fans. But I do think it's been a combination of those things. And really quick to, to hit on the early season thing, that was weird because they would get off to these, you know, slow starts and then be a second half team. And, and Sarko used to say to his post games, we take pride in being a second half and a fourth quarter team. Right. So it, it's been kind of, you know, the, the kind of two evils, so to speak, I think in the first half of the season, a lot of that was this team establishing its offensive identity. You remember, you know, CJ Baxter opened the season as the starting running back. Right. So Jonathan Brooks wasn't even the guy for the first two weeks. I think that was, Part of it against Alabama and against Rice and then against, you know, Wyoming, it, it was a struggle for three quarters. You know, I think that was you know kind of fighting their identity. So it, it's been, you know, like I said, uh, you know, the, the two evils kind of deal with Texas this year, offensively speaking. Yeah, the other kind of you brought that up, too. So like Jonathan Brooks wasn't the starter and he kind of worked his way into being the starter. What does it look? What does the Texas backfield look like? Because I think at Texas at their best. I mean, when they've been good, you know, you look at like, oh, it's Colt McCoy and it's Ricky Williams and all these legendary skill players. But it's because they have the best linemen in the country. When they're really good, they're pumping out, you know, these enormous 340-pound defenses. I mean, it, it, Coburn last year is kind of a guy that comes to mind. He's just a solid guy. They just have like nine of those guys. Well, when Texas is at their best, they're able to just kind of F you run the ball. And it's no matter who the quarterback is, what they're doing, well, Texas – without Jonathan Brooks, they still have that offensive line. But I mean, if we haven't been, if they haven't been able to seal games in the last few weeks, whether that's by play calling or execution, what does the running back room look like or the offense look like without their bell cow behind or beside Quinn Ewers? 
it's funny you mentioned the offensive line because there's no doubt this is a talented offensive line. Christian Jones, I mean, in his sixth year, he's really looking, it's seeming as if he's actualized that potential. I've seen a lot of people, whether it's Jim Nagy over at the Senior Bowl and, and some others really saying that he, you know, kind of has an opportunity to rise up draft boards as a right tackle. Kelvin Banks Jr. was, you know, an all Big 12 performer at left tackle. The, huge, the interesting huge thing human, is giant that, human. Thanks. Listen, Kelvin, we get him on, on Mondays. He's a massive <laughs> human, guys. Um, Giant human being. But the interior of the offensive line has been interesting. Cole Hudson uh, was a starter at guard. He's been banged up. He, he's been, you know, kind of in and out of the lineup. DJ Campbell, 6'3", 345 pounds at right guard has taken that spot. But he's a first-time starter. So he's been kind of, you know, feeling in his, his way around the offensive line. You got Jake Majors, who got banged up a little bit at center. You know, he's just getting healthy again. And Hayden Connor um, as well, left guard. So the interior of the offensive line has been interesting. At times, they've had failures, especially in short yardage, guys. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but I've written about it at Horns 24-7 on, on the website about some of this team's short yardage struggles when, you know, when you have those moments, guys, when everyone in the stadium knows you got to run it, right? You right. Know, third and two, third and one. Or there's three and a half minutes to go in the game. The stuff where it's, I know I'm running. You know I'm running. Stop it. They haven't performed well, guys. I mean, the numbers get skewed a little bit because Sark is so aggressive on fourth down. Sometimes they get conversions that way. But, you know, again, they've really kind of struggled on those power leverage moments. So to, to transition to the running back room, what's made the, the Texas rushing attack look so good, quite frankly, is Jonathan Brooks. And this is kind of, you know, when I've mentioned it and compared him to Bijan Robinson, it's upset some of the, the fan base. But if you look at all the numbers, guys, and even the advanced metrics, he's performing at the same pace that Bijan Robinson was last year, even the year before, in terms of his explosive runs and, quite frankly, the ability to make tackle, make the, the defenders miss. You know, he's, I believe, second or third in the nation, according to Pro Football Focus, and missed tackles force. And that was the thing that separated him from C.J. Baxter. When you look at C.J., and I'll be curious to see how he looks on Saturday, six foot one. 218 pounds, you see the explosiveness and the little spurts that, you know, Texas and Steve Sarkeesian gives us as far as practice viewing windows during fall camp. You see an explosive big back, which just reminds you of Bijan Robinson. But what was missing was the ability to make the first guy miss. And at this level, as you guys know, mm -hmm. you know, it's very rare you're going to get clean all the way through, right, in terms of run play. You got to be able to make a defender miss, whether it's that first guy or someone at the second level. And CJ wasn't doing that early on. Then he got banged up, had the injuries. He's come on a little bit in, in, in being the backup running back. So I'm really interested to see how he's kind of grown and matured in the last eight, nine weeks of being the backup. And for all accounts, Steve Sarkeesian said, you know, hey, he's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's, he's really, you know, a mature back, not a true freshman. So we'll see. I mean, again, there was a reason why this guy was the starting running back out of camp. We'll have to see if he can kind of actualize that on Saturday. Who's, who's going to be the, uh, another guy? Because it's, I mean, running back's a position where you can't take 100% of snaps or you're going to die. So who's the the next or other guys are going to be in? Okay, so Savion Red was kind of filling that short yardage role. I mean, it, it, I, I would tell you, transfer? you know, No, no. Savion okay. is, is a guy who's you know, redshirt freshman. I would tell you know Iowa State fans, look for him in the Wildcat. When they do go Wildcat short yardage, Savion Red, a former um, – prep quarterback, you know, so he kind of has experience in that realm. Uh, he's going to be that short yardage guy. Then the other two guys are, you know, Jaden Blue, who's a really interesting player and in that he's a young guy and another underclassman as well. When he's touched the ball, it's mainly been in blowout situations, so he doesn't have any carries in any real high leverage type of situations, but he's looked explosive. I mean, he's 
broken a 30, 40 yard touchdown. I think he had that one against BYU, if memory serves me correctly, late in that ball game. Um, so he's a very explosive back, you know, kind of similar to, I'd say, uh, JB, um, Jonathan Brooks in that regard. And then Keelan Robinson, for the most part, has been the third down back when you've seen him. has been using his hands out of the backfield or maybe kind of a change of pace guy. So I'd say look for all three of those guys. That's not really going to be, you know, one guy in specificity. So I know that Quinn Ewers had gotten hurt, you know, a few weeks ago, and then he was out for a couple of weeks. Um, and Malik Murphy came in and, and, you know, did a good job filling in for him. I didn't get to watch the TCU game at all. Um, obviously his, you know, his injury was, you know, an AC joint sprain to his right shoulder. Did you notice that last game that he looked like normal Quinn Ewers? Or do you, do you think there's any kind of lingering still going on with that injury? Because an AC joint injury is not to... Especially that's, for a quarterback. And to, to your throwing shoulder. It's that's not a that's not a fun injury to have. No injuries are fun to have, but that's not a fun injury to have. You know, I really enjoy this sprained ankle. This is nice. I like it. <laughs> no, right? That is funny you said. But no, um guys, you talk about the AC joint. I mean, by all accounts, he was ahead of schedule in his recovery. And TCU, they are a team that allows field access pregame. So we went down and watched, and Quinn looked healthy during warm-ups. Uh, he had one moment during the TCU game in which he looked like he was kind of, you know, at least from our vantage point up in the press box, maybe kind of favoring that side. But, you know, when we talked on post game, he said he was completely fine. Um, I will say we didn't get him today for player availability, but maybe that had more to do with a class schedule than anything else. Um, but no, I mean, Quinn, the, the only noticeable difference I would say in last week's game as compared to maybe what we've seen during the year is Quinn talked a lot during the lead up to the season about his, his decision to really clean up his diet and drop from 215 to even, you know, down to 190 pounds at where he's playing now. And I even said during, you know, the, the early part of the year that can a 190 pound quarterback survive the entire year? Obviously we see, you know, Quinn did get banged up, but the one area where he believes dropping the weight has helped him is scrambling. Uh, there's been several times this year when third and five, third and six, third and seven, right when it looks as if an opposing defense is really kind of getting some momentum against the offense, hasn't backed on a third and long. Quinn hasn't been afraid to, you know, run, scramble and pick up the first down. And we even saw in the Houston game where there was some speculation that the play maybe he got hurt on was him dropping his shoulder um, and, and trying to run through a first down. Quinn says that it actually didn't happen on that play. It happened on a sack earlier on that drive. So we did not see him use his legs at all. Again, maybe part of that was by design, given the fact that he does have the AC joint injury, but that's the only thing I would say was the difference is that we didn't see him even look to run at all, which throughout the year, again, in, in certain situations, especially in, you know, timely third downs, he's done that this year. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, coming off an injury. So I've had, I mean, so I play running back fullback and you get I mean, frozen shoulder, sprained ankle, back injury, neck injury. I mean, broken wrist. I mean, all the kind of stuff. And it takes you a little bit, even if like you're physically ready, it, it cleared and it's okay. And like, you're not going to hurt yourself if you make full contact, it changes it. Like, it takes a little while to like mentally be okay with like, all right, if I put my shoulder down, I'm not going to hurt this thing again. So I think, I mean, it might be something like that where he's ahead of schedule, but um, a little tentative still. A little tentative still. One thing that he did change from last year is the mullet, which is nice. Uh, is it nice though? I mean, it's it, that thing was just uh, mullets aren't supposed to be pretty, man. They're supposed to be just disgusting. Yeah, well, and mission accomplished. Uh, so yeah. if <laughs> so it's a bad thing you let it go. So you you uh, you mentioned that so you joined this past summer. So you, I guess you didn't get to watch last year's team. So last year's team, they kind of faltered later in the year. And the the knock, and this is from, from an Iowa State 
fan's perspective. And, and so I was two and two against Texas. And uh, when in teams that you could beat, it was because they would get, they would start pissing and moaning at each other. And it started to become a little bit of like internal, you know, I don't want to do this and I'm here, whatever. I'm here for me. I'm not here for us. And that's sort of what Texas in the past couple of years has kind of come down to. It's like that rant that happened actually the last time they were in Ames, they got run all over by Iowa state. The defensive line coach just absolutely chewed them out from there to here. What, I guess, I don't know if it's, again, you weren't necessarily there, but like in conversations with the team and other guys, what has been the biggest difference between last year and this year in whether it's execution or just like togetherness or like what's different between these, the the last couple of years and this year? I apologize for coming on a podcast and going into journalist mode. Maybe it's because of the fact that I just left presser uh, an hour ago. (laughs) Um, I'm going to answer your question, but I have to ask a follow-up to that. So in your years playing against Texas, did you notice that or was that just 100%? Okay. hundred percent. So like you, you can see like, let's say you bust off like a seven yard run on first down or you're blocking somebody instead of being like, you know, let's say Grant was a defensive end and, and, you know, naturally built like one and, you know, he's supposed to fit in the B gap, but he doesn't quite get there. And the linebacker is supposed to fit in the C gap and, you know, linebacker has to pick up the defensive end. You'd see him kind of, instead of being like a pat in the back of like, Hey, let's go. You can get it. It's sort of like a shove to the shoulder being like, come on, dude. Like you'd see that sort of start to happen. And that was one of those things of, we know you got, we know we got you when that starts to happen. So like it legitimately, it was a real thing that they would start kind of pissing and moaning, to, pissing and moaning at each other. And I think when we beat them in DKR, I think we get like seven sacks or something like that, just because of stuff like that in the offensive line. Okay. So I promise I would answer your question. 1000%, even without being around this team last year, right? This being my first year covering the team. The first thing, my first assignment covering Texas for CBS and 24 seven was big 12 media days. And I asked Jordan Whittington, you know, a veteran, highly respected guy on this team. I said, what's different about this team? And he said, man, you know, just to be honest with you, you know, we really rock with each other, you know, not just inside the facility, but outside the facility. And being a new guy on the beat, right? You know, this is what, my seventh year covering uh, college football in some form or fashion. I'm not going to lie. You hear that so often. Maybe you take it for granted, right? But they've been consistent to that message to the point where I actually just wrote on that. Was it? yesterday the days all run together i believe it was yesterday i talked about the culture right um i think my my uh, counterpart chip brown on the site you know wrote about the fact that he said that texas keeps keeps pointing to his culture and he asked you know is that going to be enough to finish the job and i kind of gave the flip side which is the culture is making the difference kind of to your point uh, about you know these are games that regardless of the fact that they give up or have given up some second half leads the difference between them holding on when it matters to win the game versus losing has been the culture. And I'm just taking that from their own words, Jade Barron, Jalen Ford, Jordan Whittington. I mean, the list goes on and on. All of the guys who have been on this team for at least three years or more have said the difference is we don't just watch film together inside the facility. I call the guys over to the apartment and we got, you know, a little, you know, movie room downstairs. We watch film together. You know, we really hang out with each other. We enjoy each other's company on and off the field. So for Longhorn fans, as cliche and maybe as, you know, boring of an answer as that is for, for the layperson, people who aren't really around this program daily, it, it's, it's the truth. So it's, that's why I asked the question. It's interesting to hear you say that from an opponent's perspective, because, you know, even Jalen Ford said that, you know, sometimes a guy might miss a tackle or miss, you know, a gap or, you know, miss a run fit. And you start looking at each other's like, yo, you know, what happened as opposed to, as you said, picking that guy up and being like, yo, next play, next play, we'll get it. So that, that that's real. 
What I'm kind of going to be looking for uh, on Saturday is, you know, obviously we've talked about Texas, you know, kind of losing some of their mojo in the second half. Well, Iowa State has been a second half team, especially under Coach Campbell. So I'm curious to see if Texas still, you know, still is kind of lethargic in the second half, if Iowa State's able to. It's not, it's not going to be as cold as I want, though, to really make the second half. I mean, I wanted it to be, I mean, to be, to be fair. I'm sure when Texas saw that. You're a Florida guy. You're living in Texas now. Yeah. I wanted it to be like 15 and snowy. That would so, be extra plus for us up here. So it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I went to grad school in Chicago. Okay. So I'm so you, very familiar with, 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 with yep. the cold. However, that question was asked to several Longhorns today, right? And then finally, one of the media guys kind of laughed at like the fourth time a player was asked about being cold and it, it was noticeable. And like, you know, someone asked, why are you laughing? It was like, the high is going to be like 58 that day, right? It's not going to be that cold. cold. No. <laughs> yeah, that's so, to your point. Um, so uh, this is a, a special teams kind of, you know, centered, centered podcast. Um, so Texas has a history of, you know, great kickers, you know, Justin Tucker was there when we played Nick Rose was great. Obviously Cameron Dicker. Um, can you touch on, you know, how, how is Texas's kicker and I guess punter, um, this year so far? Ryan Sanborn's been awesome. I mean, the Stanford transfer, he punted for four years at Stanford. He's last check. He was seventh or eighth in the nation in, in yards, uh, per punt. around 47 per game. So, you know, Sanborn's been, been great, uh, all year. Burt Auburn is a guy who, listen, I don't know if you've ever seen Burt Auburn's hair, but that's made him a, you know, fan favorite. Cause he's got, you know, the long kind of curly hair that comes out. He's, we actually had him for media availability today and he was saying he needs a head and shoulders deal. So there's that <laughs> funny, but, um, John no, I mean, hates his hair. Are you, what <laughs> uh, listen, Hey, Hey, I got you. I got you. I'm there sorry are, because you don't, you're not a fan of the mullet. So just, you know, no, I'm not a fan of the mullet because unless you're high and tight, mullets, Jeff's like, there's no, no good mullet. Like I don't, it's... mullets aren't supposed to be good, Jeff. They're mullets. Listen, I'm, I'm with you because there, there are five members of the, uh, the, the media corps here who are bald, including myself. Hey, and at a certain point in time, we're like, listen, enough with the hair questions. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Bert got asked about that. Uh, and so did Michael Taft, but anyhow, um, no, Auburn is, a really reliable picker. I mean, even when he went through a bit of a struggle between the Wyoming and Kansas games, he had a stretch that he missed a few kicks. Um, and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian stood by him and said, hey, you know, matter of factly, Burt Auburn is our kicker, right? And I mean, Burt came out and said um, a few weeks back that that meant the world to him because as, as a special teams player, as a kicker, you know, so much of the battle is confidence, right? So once he, if Steve Sarkeesian had answered that question in any other way, Besides, matter of fact, if Bert Auburn is our kicker, you know, maybe that builds a little bit of hesitancy, hesitancy in him, in him, excuse me. But no, Auburn's re- rebounded really well. I'd say the biggest knock on him is, you know, I'd say anything 45 and plus. I think Bert today said anything inside of 50, he feels confident. But anything 45 plus can be a little bit shaky. Um, but for the most part, very accurate kicker. And like I said, he's rebounded uh, really well over the past few weeks. And I know that Xavier Worthy is, you know, Early on in the season, at least I knew he was one of the best punt returners in the country. Um, it, does he do kickoffs as well, kickoff returns as well for you guys? No, no. And, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing X out there. Steve Sarkeesian has said that he's wanted to see more out of the kick return game. But um, no, it, it typically is Keelan Robinson, although there was a switch last week in the TCU game for the first time this year. We saw true freshman DeAndre Moore back there um, on kick returns. But no, it's, it's usually him or... Um, sometimes I see a little bit of Savion Red and, and others, but no, it's usually Keelan Robinson for the most part had been, and Jordan Whittington as well sometimes with back there, but mm-hmm. Keelan Robinson had been the primary kick returner. I'll be interested to see if Keelan is back this week because, again, I mean, he'd been the primary guy all season long. He didn't appear at all last week. Um, didn't seem as if it was injury-related because he dressed. A little doghouse uh, situation? But, 
What's that? Little doghouse situation. I don't know because Keelan is one of the most respected guys on the team. Um, I know that sounds cliche, but I mean, Sark, you know, preaches about this guy being one of the best gunners in the nation. He Sark says that he has the two best gunners in the nation and, you know, Keaton Crawford and Keelan Robinson. So, you know, he's never hesitated to put those guys out there. So I, I think, you know, for whatever reason, you know, Keelan just didn't play, not even on special teams as well. So I don't know if it was, you know, a doghouse situation or something internal, but uh, I'd be interested to see if we Keelan uh, this week because he has been the primary kick returner. Yeah, I, I feel like Xavier Worthy, to me, he's he's got a lot of CD Lamb vibes. And I know like Longhorn fans don't, you know, that. might not love that too much, but he is so like, he's, he's a beanpole, but he's so much stronger than his frame suggests. And he's also just one of those guys where it's like, hey, go do something with this ball. You know, like you, Devontae Smith, if you will. A little bit, yeah. I mean, a little slim reapery, but the uh, it doesn't. You know, it feels like if if they were to need something, you know, they 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 make it to the, somehow make it to the college football playoff, and you know, it's the they're down six with four to play, and they're getting the ball, throw them back there. Like it feels like one of those situations where you just need to get him the ball. But right now, it feels like it's too too important to the offense to do that with. But okay, have you traveled with the team? Like traveled to away games yes. covering him? Yes. What has been other than the Cotton Bowl? Because that's just you know absolute just you know, powder cake. Yeah. What has been the environments? Cause I would imagine you're getting, I say you like, like you're officially part of the Texas team, but like you, Texas is getting everybody's not just their best shot. It's their maddest shot last yeah. Just the pissed off Hornets. You kick the Hornets nest. Has that been like an us against the world type feel for the team? And has it affected them at any point? Listen, despite the fact that, you know, uh, contrary to, to some people's uh, belief, I do not work for the University of Texas or any school <laughs> I've covered. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, but I always get that. Like, I know you don't work for such and such anymore. It's like, I never did. Um, but no, we're around the team daily. So you hear the players talk about during the week. But on game day, it's noticeable. I mean, if I have on, you know, my Texas, I think I got my Texas lanyard right here, which Sometimes I, I have to bring on me, bring with me on the road. And you're walking to a stadium to pick up, you know, my, my road credential. You see, you hear it from fans. Um, even being down there, again, the, the games that we've had field access, um, TCU, Houston are the two. You hear fans when every time they touch the field, whether it's warmups and t-shirts and shorts, coming back out with pads or, you know, taking the field, you know, right for, for kickoff. You hear it and you feel it. And I don't know... I guess this will be the first time. Yeah, I weren't down the field pregame for Bama, but you felt it for, for Alabama for sure. I mean, even being around um, campus and Brian Denny, I mean, they wanted that one. So you know, this will be the first time as far as a Big 12 opponent um, that we've been outside the state of Texas. I, I don't know if it was, you know, maybe heightened. Um, I definitely think with Baylor, it was heightened. You know, at Waco's a 90-minute drive. So, you know, those people definitely want to give it to them. And same thing with Houston. Um, as well, uh, and definitely TCU. So yes, oh, we felt it, and I'll, and I'll be interested to go get to, you know, Jack Trice and and see what the uh, it's going to be there. heated. I, the amount of I, I just from you know we don't we're not affiliated with Iowa State either, and so the the thing that's interesting about the fan base is it sort of feels like, um, I mean, well we can bleep this out, but like you want to leave, we'll get the fuck out then. Like that's sort of the way that the attitude is for the fan base towards Texas. So then whenever that person is on the other side of that and you get the chance to communicate that to them, it's the last time like that sort of feels like that we've we as Iowa State, you know, players then had always been like a, you know, an underneath, you know, little brother. And by the time we've, you know, Iowa State has beaten Texas three out of four games 
well, and they're leaving. And so it's one of those things that this will be, I think this is going to be as irritated of a stadium as I probably will expect to experience outside of a Seahawk game, probably ever. So like, it's going to be hot when it, when Texas comes in. You well, probably, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this really quick. I mean, just the TC came out. I don't know if you guys have seen the picture on Twitter where AD Mitchell, you know, is catching the touchdown pass and he's got six middle fingers, you know, clad in purple, right? In his face. So it's real. You yeah. brought up a good point that I didn't even, I didn't realize until you brought up that Texas has not left the state of Texas for a Big 12 game until this one. And then their next two are both in the state of Texas too. That is absolutely wild. Well, I'm kind of mad the Big 12 just kind of, you but know. I, I mean, on the flip side of that, Houston, I mean, that Houston game is only close because Houston gets to take out all, you know, decades of pent up rage against Texas and TCU. It's, you know, we haven't seen you for a long time, but get on out of here. And Baylor, you, you know, Southwestern Conference, and we've been with you forever. Get out of here. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily too much of a help that they haven't been able to leave the state because, you know, what are they going to Cincinnati, Provo, Morgantown, like those Morgantown would be a little mad, but like there's not a lot of, of irritation outside of maybe Manhattan. I feel like Manhattan, Stillwater, and Ames are the places that would legitimately have a, a amount of explosive pent-up aggression. Eric, as, have as, a, as a UCF alum, I might throw Orlando in there, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, have you ever been to a, a game in Jack Dry Stadium before? I, I Listen, I'm excited because um, I never have been to – I have a, a buddy of mine from college. His brother went to Iowa State, and he used to tell me all these, like, great – going to Iowa state frat party stories. Um, so I'm pretty excited to, cause I've heard that, you know, it's a pretty unique environment. In so I'm pretty excited to get up there. Yeah. If, if you get a chance to, you know, before the game, just, you know, walk around tailgating, we, it's all, you know, big old parking lots around and a lot of tailgating going on and you're in for a treat, you know, senior night, night games are always special in, in Ames too. Weird things can happen. Um, but it's a, uh, it, sh- it should be a fun environment. And for, the one, uh, I would say the one, well, the one unique thing, I mean, other than just, you know, it's Jack Trice, but like first touchdown in the second half, uh, just, just stay in your seat. Don't go get a, a drink. It's it's the whitest thing that we could possibly ever do, but it's Juicy Wiggle, which is like a, a bad techno song, okay. but the entire stadium loses their minds and it is, it's, it's because it's so you could, stupid, but it's, it's so, so stupid, it's, but it's so funny. You get 63,000 people that are doing the same dance the entire, you know, two minutes of that song, but like, I mean, it's corny. I would like to see something a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more effort or energy. But Juicy Wiggle, man, when it comes on, stadium lights up. So first touchdown in the second half. Just be ready for the uh, the Juicy Wiggle. Is it wider than Sweet Caroline? Because that's like my barometer. Oh boy. Well, we play I, that at ooh, the end of the game. We got both. We got both. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so if Iowa State wins, they'll play at the end of the game. So yeah. I guess you know, fill in your bingo card. <laughs> um, the last thing I, I'll, I'll say to Eric that this is a special teams, uh, as I said, you know, centered podcast. Let's talk about the Texas special teams coach just for a second. Um, okay. <laughs> if we're allowed to go down that route. Um, I, 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 you can go down it. I can't promise you what answer I'll, I'll give, but you, you're more, it's, it's your guy's show. I was just going to say, have you met his wife and or her pet monkey? Is that, that is, that is a fact, right? That is, that's a true story. Um, I was not here for the wife or the pet monkey and okay. I have not met to the best of my knowledge, although we do the way we enter in for, for Texas post games, we, we pass families all the time. Um, I may have been in the same building as her, but I have never met uh, a wife. Or if it was a Saturday animal. night, she probably wasn't in that building. The 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 only animal I've, I've met on the beat is Bevo. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There we go. I, uh, 
Thank you for putting up with that question. I am. Yes, thank I'm you. both. You're good sport. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry for that. And also, thank you. John Bianco, Thomas Stepp, and all the folks there at uh, Texas Communications. There you go. <laughs> they won't listen to it. We can, we can cut that if we need to. Yeah, we sure can. <laughs> no, you're good. Well, that's, that's all I've got from it, Jeff. You got yeah, I think that was it. I mean, thanks for coming on. Yeah, so if you, uh, if you want no, no any place to eat, any place to go, or, or something, up, once you get up to Ames, hit us up. We're happy to help. I will take any and all uh, recommendations. I'm actually heading up on Thursday. Uh, so I'll, I'll be uh, in Des Moines Thursday and heading over to Ames. Ooh. So I'll take any and all recommendations. I would say if you want the closest thing to Texas barbecue, watch a smoking. It's, uh, it's in Luther. It's in so Luther, it's, 45 minute drive. Great. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, I say just outside of Ames, but it's not, it's on the way to Ames. If you kind of take the back roads. Um, and if you're flying down, I don't know if that's interstate, whatever it's on, you'll miss it. Um, but it's, um, it'll be on the left-hand side if you're going, you know, North to Ames. It's the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Absolutely that's, middle of nowhere. That's probably the closest to uh, Texas barbecue they'll find uh, in Iowa. Um, no doubt. Good. All right. Good stuff. Awesome, fellas. Appreciate so, it. We appreciate your time. Thanks again for coming on. Anytime, fellas. Appreciate it. Well, that was the uh, Goldfinch Athletics interview. I mean, thanks to, uh, to, to Eric for hopping on. It's 247 Horns. Uh, boy. That was it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for, for asking that question because it was a lot on a lot of people's minds. But, uh, I mean, God bless him for being a sport to actually answer that question. I had to save it to the end, too, because he hung up as soon as we were done recording, and I'm pretty sure he would have hung up had I asked within the first two minutes. So Good information, though. Like, super helpful or super useful. Like, a lot of, especially a lot of stuff about Jonathan Brooks and who's going to be filling in. Um, I don't know. I'm excited for it. I apologize to him, though, if, if that question did offend him. I was, not my, was, not, was that my intention? We're special teams, though. We're special teams podcast. It's, it's, you know, it's an elephant in the room, if you will. Meant to be so. fun. Okay. Anyway, uh, we're going to be back next. Well, you guys are going to be back next week. I will be sitting the next week or two out. What are you going to be a dad or something? Yeah. Got the eviction notice for the kid scheduled for Sunday night going into Monday. So unless she hatches sooner, you guys be on your own for at least a little bit. So hopefully be able to enjoy a Texas defeat. Yeah. Send those longhorns out on a loss. Um, we'll, we'll bring in some, some fun guests. So, um, aid may hop on and, and, and join me and who knows, maybe you'll get an hour of grand scribes. Grand scribes. That's all we got for you guys today though. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners uh, who are still listening. And as always, remember adopt, do not shop.